Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. All right. Hey, before we hop into our message, I have the joy of announcing to you that this weekend, our worship team released its first ever full-length album, Good Great. Uh, Really exciting weekend for us. Uh, It's 10 songs, 10 songs, all Mercy Originals. If you were at our worship night last fall, that's where we recorded everything, and it is now available everywhere you get music. Videos are up on YouTube. Uh, Y'all, listen, it is one of our dreams that Mercy would be a, a church home for those who are gifted in the creative arts, and that's because we believe part of our role as God's people is to tell the stories of God's faithfulness here and now and what he is doing. And these songs are our attempt to capture the character of God, right, that we see in Scripture, and then how he's moving among us and to tell that story in a way worthy of who he is. Uh, Y'all, I promise you this will be an encouragement to you throughout the week. That's one of the things we want to do is equip you to worship God throughout the week, and that's a step in that direction. And one thing I love about our team, they do not put together average stuff. This thing is excellent. There is deep truths and excellent music, and I'm praying it reaches far and wide because everybody that it encounters is going to hear the great love of God and the great hope for them in Christ. So you go get that if you didn't already know about it. Uh, With that said, we are opening 2020 with a series of sermons that we're calling I'm In. And the idea behind this is that many Christians tend to view the Christian life much the same way we view a sporting event. We attend events, but we leave the actual participation to the trained professionals, right? Functionally, when it comes to the work of God in the world, many Christians are spectators, maybe fans, of course, but not active participants. But the problem is that God never designed the Christian life to have bleachers, There are no spectators. I want to tell you something. God is moving in our world here and now. January 12th, 2020, God is moving. All right? He didn't just set up the world, let it run, and and he backed off. No, he's moving. You know, you hear the talk right now in in the news a lot about Iran, right? What you may not know is that the fastest church growth movement in the world right now is in Iran. There are more people that have come to faith in the last 20 years than in the last 1,300 years. God is moving now. Got a report just came in from a missionary in East Asia. Said his three-year goal was to plant 200 house churches in a persecuted area of East Asia. 200 house churches, big, big goal for the next three years. That was his vision. He said in four months, we had planted 300 churches. In six months, there had been 360 churches and 10,000 people baptized. God is moving. He's moving in the States. 
Nine years ago, I sent a buddy out to go plant a church. Me and a group of people sent a buddy out to plant a church in Denver, Colorado, right in downtown, really hard, cold spiritually area, a lot of transient people. And by God's grace, there are over 500 people worshiping at this church here and now, most of them who have come there by profession of faith in Christ. God is moving. He's moving in Charlotte. Right? He is moving like never before. There's a renewed commitment to prayer, to a dependence on God. There's unity in the church and between churches, unlike anything Christians have seen in the last 30 years. I know because I've been asking. And that's always where God moves first, is among his people, bringing his people back to him. And he is inviting you and I into his movement to be a part of an awakening in this city that starts with an awakening in us. No one's purpose in all of that is to sit on the sidelines and watch. People, people, you and I, are God's plan A for carrying his movement across the world. And God is inviting the people of Mercy Church into what he is doing in our city and in our world. And so in this series, we're saying, Mercy Church, we are not gonna be a spectator church. We want you to come, yes, just as you are. All right, wherever you came from, you might be brand new to church today. Come as you are, take all the time you need to consider Jesus and consider the Christian message. But we believe the call to follow Jesus with your whole life means actively engaging in the mission of God and in the life of the church. And so just like players get better through practice, so we Christians grow through getting in the game, not just learning about God, but following him. So we're opening wide our ministry teams and our community groups so that you can move from rows and chairs and into the life of this movement. Y'all, because these ministry teams, community groups, those are like greenhouses, okay, where your your walk with God will grow. But we're going to go in this series a lot farther than church programs. We're going to go to the heart of what it looks like for us to join God's movement, what is required of us and what is provided for us. And that leads us to today and to John chapter 15, where we're going to be at today. So you got your Bible, John 15 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in verses 9 through 17. And what we're going to talk about today is the culture of this movement. When we're saying I'm in, what is it that we're saying I'm into? What's the culture of this movement called the church? This teaching comes right in the middle of what's commonly called Jesus's farewell discourse. All right, it's John 13 through 17. It's the largest single block of teaching that exists anywhere in recorded scripture from Jesus. And in his parting teaching, before he leaves to go be crucified, the main thing he wants his disciples focused on, the main thing he tries to hammer home, we talked about it last week, talking about this week, we're gonna talk about it the next two weeks, is he wants them to make sure they understand and they focus in on the love that they have for one another. That's the culture of the movement. He talks about where it comes from, what, it's look, what it looks like, what its impact is gonna be on the world. It's incredible. And in chapter 15, he comes at this idea of love through the angle of friendship. Not surprisingly, the movement of God that will change the world begins in how we relate to one another, how we love one another. You get this right here between brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll change the world. And I think most, here's the thing, (laughs) most of us agree that we should love other people, that we should be kind to other people. Like nobody came in here today hoping for a sermon on how to be a better jerk, right? That wasn't what you were looking for today, I hope, (laughs) right? We want to love others. We think that's right. But 
I mean, let's get real. A lot of us feel like trying to be a good person and love other people is exhausting. I mean, you got any people in your life who are hard to love, who are a little exhausting? If, now let's just get real. If your answer to that is no, you know what that means. You're the exhausting one, right? Everybody's exhausted by you, okay? <laughs> Look, and on top of that, on top of how hard it is, we all have our own ideas for what a friend should be, for what that love should look like. And I think we often settle for less than what God has for us. We settle for less in our friendships because we build them and we navigate them based on our assumptions of what they should be instead of on everything God has offered for us in them. So I want to set our assumptions about friendship and what it looks like to love one another. I want to kind of set those assumptions on the shelf today, almost like wipe the whiteboard clean. And let's look at what Jesus says about it. And after seeing what he says, then let's recalibrate our own approach based off of what he has to say. I'm telling you by Wednesday of studying this stuff, by Wednesday of this week, I was already texting some friends, making some calls about how I know, recognize I needed to approach friendship differently as a result of what Christ says here. Because y'all, I want God to move through me. I want to be in. I want to be a part of whatever God has, whatever he's doing here in my life, among my friends, in this church, in our city. I want in. And that means being willing to conform my life to his ways. And I want that. And I want that for you as well. So let's hop in. We're just going to walk through this these verses, 9 through 17. So we'll start in verse 9. Here we go. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. All right. Jesus is talking here about his relationship with God the Father. And it, this is a really majestic and mysterious relationship. Because Jesus is going to say elsewhere that he is one with the Father. What he's doing in verse 9 is he's alluding to the idea of the Trinity, which is the, it's a word that Christians use to summarize and explain the Bible's teaching that God is one who exists in three persons. And you might be thinking, what in the world does the Trinity have to do with my ability to join God's movement and love others well? It's got a whole lot to do with it. Because before you can look outward towards others, you got to understand yourself. You got to understand how you're wired up, who created you, where you come from. The Bible says you were created in the image of God, which, be, which means you're created in the image of a being who constantly gives and receive, receives love within itself. You therefore were made to give and receive love. In other words, you were created to be in relationship with other people. But, and this is a big but, the first place that you were made to experience that love is in your reception of God's love for you. You gotta catch that. It's not in your relationship with other people that you were made to experience it first. First, you were made to experience it in God's love for you and receiving that. Before we can extend love out to others, we gotta know what love really is. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I don't know. I just uh, came into my, I don't know why. It's, <laughs> talking about love a lot today, a lot of songs, whatever. Look, God's love for us becomes our definition of love. We don't define love by what we think it should be. This is massively important for the Christian life. 
We don't define it by what we think it should be, but by what God shows us it to be. In God's design, he doesn't just make, here's what's so beautiful. He doesn't just model it for us and make then, okay, now we see how we're supposed to follow. He also makes his love the power source for us to draw from. And that's really important. The more we dwell in God's love, the more that love will supply us with the strength to love others. All right, I got two illustrations for you today. One is a goofy little one I'm about to tell you that I came up with. The other one is from Jesus. It's a lot better, okay? We're gonna get to Jesus in a second because it's far better. But look, you guys um, ever have a, uh, like a glow-in-the-dark basketball? Like I have one of these in my room growing up. You know, the, the kind where, I'm not talking about the things that you like, you, you're cracking like glow sticks or something like that. I'm talking about the deal that you gotta hold it up to the light for about four hours, right? And after that, you get about four minutes that you're gonna get to play basketball, you know what I'm talking about? All right, that... That really is actually a great illustration for what it looks like for us to follow after God correctly, understand to love others out of God's love for us. The more we stay close to the light source, right, the more we will glow, right, because we're up there near God's love for us. You were made to have the love of God as your home base, where you spend most of your time. It is meant to be the love that shapes you more than any other. And because you were created in the image of a God who is three persons, you were then designed to carry that love into friendship with other humans. That's why people are never as fulfilled as they are when they have sturdy, God-centered friendships. You ever notice this by that? I mean, two people who are both finding their security, their peace, their fulfillment, because that's what love creates. All right, we talk about this sometimes, like for those of you who ask, okay, what does it mean to, to be the ball? That, what does it mean to dwell in God's love for me? What does that actually look like? It's to consider his promises that he has extended to you in Christ, right? Romans six twenty three. you were bound for death. Your sin set you on that course, but God forgave your sin by having Christ pay for it. You're absolved of your sins, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you were corrupted by those sins, right? So all your desires have malfunctioned and, and gone awry, but God made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have eternity secured in Christ. Another promise, death no longer has a sting. You no longer have to fear death in Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15, John 14, 17. God creator of the universe, God Almighty is actually present with you. And on top of all that, he saved you from your sin. He's created you anew. He is with you. You don't have to fear death. He says, Ephesians 2.10, he's got great plans for your life that he has created you for, and you'll experience fulfillment and purpose as you pursue them. To dwell in God's love is to actively believe these promises. And as you do, the Holy Spirit grants you security. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. He grants you peace, freedom from anxiety and fear. He grants you fulfillment that, listen, you can't find in ambitions of money, fame, or romance. And if you remain right by that light source, you will always have, again, that, that glow. And a person filled up with God's love is strengthened by it. Then they're able to love others. 
That's what prepares someone to be a great friend. And the greatest friendships are two people dwelling in God's love. And the primary reason friendships and all relationships are as hard as they are is because we look to people first for that love, for that security, for that approval, for that peace, for that fulfillment that we were always created to find first in God's love for us. Look, I know some of you came in here today and you came in on an empty tank hoping that there would be something for you, some kind of hope. And I'm telling you, there is far more than just a drop of hope for you. There is a giant waterfall of hope for you in the love of Jesus Christ. You just got to open your heart to it. You got to hear the apostle Paul say that once you receive it, nothing can separate you from it because the God who gives it to you is the God who created the universe and is the God who sustains the universe moment to moment and the one who keeps you close to him. And then in light of that, in light of that love, he goes on to the next verse. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Y'all, I know at first that sounds like a, almost like a qualifier, as if one must com- uh, keep the commands in order to stay in his love, almost as if, as if his love is like the apartment and rent is how we, we obey him. That's us paying rent for the apartment. And if you don't pay the rent, you can't stay. No, instead what he's saying is that the evidence that you are remaining in his love is going to be your obedience to his commands. He's pulling now from the vine and branches metaphor that he actually started in verses 1 through 8. Again, a much better metaphor than a glowing basketball. Um, He said, look, John 15 verse 4, he said, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, Neither can you unless you remain in me. To remain in God's love is to keep it actively as your life source. He is the vine that carries life to us, the branch. And God says, if we cut ourselves off from him, we won't make it. And I know what some of you might say in response to that. Maybe you think it, I don't know if you put it into words, but you're like, well, I would never cut myself off from God. I believe in God. All right. But maybe the reason you aren't bearing fruit, maybe your reason your spiritual life is so dry is because while you might be attached, you are starving the branch. Spiritually speaking, you know about God, but you aren't actively drawing life from him. Y'all, church, until I'm dead, I'm going to tell you to meet with God every day. I'm just going to keep saying it. It's not a Jesus checklist thing. It's not a feel-good thing. It's a vine and branches thing. Even on days where you get before God and you read his word and you pray and you feel absolutely nothing, you can trust the vine is still feeding the branch. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel something from God at some point. I'm saying our feelings aren't God. So day in, day out, trust what God says, not how tingly you feel about what he says. And then fruit will come. Fruit will come. Fruit is the evidence of the life of the vine flowing into the branches. And evidence that God is at work in us, it's our obedience to him. And the joy that it brings us when we obey him. Verse 11, speaking of, I've told you these things so that my joy, 
the joy of God himself might be in you and your joy might be complete. What you have to understand about yourself is that joy is an unmistakable mark of a genuine disciple of Jesus. Jesus is the creator of joy. And if you claim that the creator of joy is taking up residence inside of you and you're a miserable person, something's wrong. It makes no sense to be a disciple of Jesus is to find joy in Jesus. Any, every step we take to help somebody else find joy in Jesus is an act of obedience to Jesus. Joy in Jesus is inseparable from knowing Jesus. It is a biblical, logical, and theological impossibility to know Jesus and lack joy. So if you're a Christian and today you feel like you lack joy, listen, it might be because you are hesitant to fully obey Jesus. Uh, Pastor Scott Urbanic, one of our pastors here, taught me this um, a while back out of this verse. I thought it was really, really helpful for me and maybe helpful for you. Y'all listen, the most exhausted, miserable people I know are hesitant Christians. Now, a hesitant Christian is one who believes something that they can't seem to bring themselves to carry out and live out. They know what God is calling them towards, but at the end of the day, something keeps them from actually taking the step. They can't seem to line up their life with their faith. This is the Christian dating someone who is, that person's compromising their own walk with God, not building it up. They know it. They've heard their Christian friends tell them to trust God, get out of that relationship. But at the end of the day, they can't take the step. They're hesitant. It's the parent whose Christian child comes home from college saying, I want to be a missionary. And the parent tries to encourage their child's passion while putting up at the same time reason on reason for why they shouldn't go. They know their child belongs to God, but they still can't release them to God. They're hesitant. This is the Christian who just can't seem to verbalize their faith to their coworker, who can't bring themselves to be financially generous, who can't trust people enough to build real friendships. Hesitant faith will drive you to joylessness to spiritual defeat that delivers burdens of shame and guilt. Y'all, enough Christians live this way long enough? The faith that's supposed to be marked by freedom and grace and joy morphs into this tiring spiritual prison that just leaves people exhausted. So you come in here and you sing about a joy you don't experience, and you're frustrated that your walk with God is stagnant, and God's like, listen, stop hedging, trust, and obey. And see if that doesn't lead to joy. Look, I'm not trying to say every day is filled with laughter. Nor am I trying to trivialize real things like depression that deserve great care. But I am saying this means your life is ultimately marked by a confidence that Jesus is greater and more satisfying than anything else this world has to offer. And you demonstrate that confidence through obedience. And Jesus is promising joy is going to flow to you like sap from the vine to the branches. Then, then he builds from your relationship with God to your friendship with others. I want you to hear, we are well over halfway through this sermon, only three verses in. And the reason why is the best thing I can do for you, for your relationship with others, is to call you back to Christ and his love for you. You will be a terrible friend If I don't do that, in fact, you'll be like a Charles Barkley terrible friend. You'll be a terrible friend if I don't do that, okay? But now that he's given us the the model and the strength for loving others, now he issues the command. 
He says the command twice. It bookends these next six verses. So I'm going to read you the, uh, the next six verses together, and then we're going to talk about how we love now that we've seen where the strength to love comes from. Verse 12, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No greater love, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from, your, from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. Verse 17, this is what I command you, love one another. This is very powerful, very important teaching on the way to love, on the culture of the movement of God that is the church. We looked at the strength to love. That was the setup. You got to have it, right? That's like the marshmallow on the s'more won't work without the marshmallow, right? Friendship won't work without abiding in the love of Christ. But then he does give us the command to love and he teaches us how to love. That's what I want to put before us because we are tasked in this world to be the visible representation of Christ to the world. That's our calling we covered last week. You remember this? Last week, John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, this is the culture of the movement. This is the way the world sees the, and, and validates who Christ is. So you say, I'm in. This is what you're saying I'm in for. So let's unpack these verses and show how to love. I'm gonna show you a few different ways that I see in here about how to love. And I want us to measure up how we are loving our friends. Maybe it's the people in our family. Maybe it's our coworkers, whatever, in light of what Christ says. The first thing, how to love is to sacrifice like Christ. It's probably the most obvious one. To love like Christ means to sacrifice like Christ. That's verse 13. All right, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. But I, I think the reason we struggle with this isn't because we don't understand it. It's just a lot of us are not in life and death situations with our friends a lot, all right? Unless I'm in a war scenario where I can leap on a grenade or some extreme scenario where I can take a bullet for a friend, what does this look like for me now? And certainly, Christ is talking about how he was gonna go lay down his life for us. In fact, this passage is describing the nature of his friendship with us, that it is laying down his life, and now he's calling us to emulate that. I think a helpful teaching that he also gave is in Luke 9, where he says to take up our cross daily and follow him. Daily. That means more than in extreme circumstances. It means we sacrifice our lives for others on a daily basis. How do you do that? Well, you got to be looking around at others around what they need, right? That's why I challenged us to pray this joy prayer. Every day this month, I'll put it back up here for you. God, I desire joy in you today. If we're all praying this every morning, God, I desire joy in you today. Help me to see Jesus first. Help me to see others second and help me to see myself last because I'm so consumed by myself. I miss God and what's going on around me. Help me to switch those, Father. When you look around at the people in your life right now, how can you sacrifice yourself for their good to help them see Christ's love. Again, that's an exhausting question 
unless you're dwelling in Christ, unless you're close to the light, unless you're abiding in the vine. Don't forget the vine. But you think about the people in your life. I want you to think for a second about the people that you would hold up as an example. Like, who's, who's a great friend? Who's the model friend that you hold up in your life? I bet there is some kind of self-sacrifice that they've made for you in there. That's, that's the image of God coming out in one another. Here's a second way we love. We obey Christ. Everything else I'm going to show you is, is how to, is just sacrifice or, or something else like Christ. But this one, I just want to say obey Christ. And that might seem at first very redundant, but it's anything but that. I've always found verse 14 to be a little odd at first read. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, think about that verse. Who else can say that? <laughs> Riley, we got a, a brand new um, elder, got a few um, elders, our member meeting. We voted in. We're going to commission them soon. One of them's Bobby Spear. Can you imagine? I, I come up to Bobby and say, hey, Bobby, you want to be my friend? Here's the deal. Do everything I command you always. You can be my friend. I can't, nobody gets away with that, right? It's not friendship. So what is Jesus saying? Well, first, he's reminding us that our relationship with him is still in his kingdom. He's still the king. And just because the king brings you into the court and makes you his friend doesn't mean he isn't still the king. And our obedience to him is our form of allegiance to the king. But listen, it's also a way we love others who Jesus has called friend. Your closest friends, they should be others whose love for Christ made visible to you through the way they obey Christ. That should inspire you. My closest friends have relationships with Christ. They inspire me. I see them obey Christ. I'm like, I want that. You want to be a good friend to others? Obey Christ. Obey Christ in your home. Obey him in the private spaces of your life where no one can see you. Obey him at work. Obey him when you're out with your friends. Obey Christ in your relationships. You want to be a part of the movement of God. You got to obey God. We want a multiplying movement, but you can't give to others what you don't know. And you can't show others how to follow a God that you're not following. Here's the next one, how to love. This is probably the hardest one today. Forgive like Christ. Forgive like Christ. Let's get real here. If you want to love others as Christ has loved you, it's going to include forgiving those who have hurt you. In fact, there's probably no more powerful way to love like Christ than to go to someone in the name of Christ and forgive them for hurting you. It's a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, written a lot of books and wrote a book, uh, David and Goliath. And in that book, he tells the story of how he returned to faith in Christ. He was researching for another book about people who had overcome uh, really incredible obstacles. And he interviewed a woman named Wilma Dirksen. Now, 30 years prior, her teenage daughter, Candace, had disappeared one day after school. The city launched the largest manhunt in its history, and a week later, they found Candace's body in a hut a quarter mile from her house with her hands and feet bound. A reporter asked Cliff and Wilma Dirksen, how do you feel about whoever did this to Candace? Cliff said, we would like to know who the person or persons are so that we could share, hopefully, a love that seems to be missing in these people's lives. Wilma went next. Our main concern was to find Candace, and now we've found her. She went on, I can't say at this point I forgive this person, 
But the, the stress of, the, of her comment, which is captured on video, uh, was right here. She said, we all have done something dreadful in our lives and have felt the urge to. And Gladwell writes about that. Apparently, she went on to talk about how she wanted to get to and was trying to get to that place of forgiveness right there in that initial interview. Gladwell writes, I wanted to know where the Dirksons found the strength to say those things. A sexual predator had kidnapped and murdered their daughter. And Cliff Dirksen could talk about sharing his love with the killer. And Wilma could stand up and say, we've all done something dreadful or have felt the urge to. Where do two people find the power to forgive in a moment like that? And the answer Gladwell found was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it may be that your forgiveness extended in the name of Jesus is the thing that breaks through someone's cold heart and leads them back to Christ. It will not be easy. I am not trivializing pain here. It might be excruciating. To trivialize pain would be to trivialize the cross. And we're certainly not going to do that. The cross was excruciating, and that person may not respond in worship of Jesus, but in extending forgiveness, the Lord's going to supply you with fresh love from the vine for the task. He's going to comfort you as you remain in him, and the fruit that he's going to bear out of that is going to be for his glory. Here's the next one, how to love. Encourage like Christ. He says at the start of verse 16, he says, we didn't choose him, he chose us. There's this inviting in, right? He invites us from servant to friend. He appoints us to bear fruit. That's a, that's a purpose that he gives us. Now listen, the way we are to love others is to encourage them in who they are in Christ and how Christ has invited them in. I taught a study years ago that I planned on, I actually planned on teaching it here again at Mercy pretty soon called Men's Fraternity. That was the name of it. But basically it's just how to be a man in the 21st century. All right. One of the things the original author said was that the common character trait he saw in emotionally healthy adult men was that they had heard their father or some father figure say three things over them often when they were boys. Son, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you are good at this. And they listed out a specific thing that they saw in them. This is God the Father speaking over us. I love you. I'm proud of you, and I, I've designed you and created you for a good work, and I see you in that. So my question to us is, who has God put in your life that you can go to them and say, I see Jesus in you. I see him in how you serve me. I see him in how every time we're together, you tell me something you're learning from God. I see him in your generosity. I see him in the way you always go to the person sitting alone um, here at church or maybe in the cafeteria or wherever. I see Christ in you. God is using you. I see him in you, young mom, who is pouring yourself out for your children. I see him in you, middle-aged child. Now you are pouring yourself out for your aging parent. If we are called, church, to visibly represent Christ, then like Christ, let's encourage one another when we see it. That's how we fan the flame of faith. Keep going. I see you. Oh, this is um, another one of our elders, Tony Ferguson. This is him. You get around him, you're going to be encouraged. I promise. This is why everybody loves Tony. That's why he encourages you and who you are in Christ. He's specific. He's saying, I see you. I see you. Here's the last one for today. How to love. Let's pray like Christ. This is a very interesting comment Jesus puts here right towards the end. I appointed you 
to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. What's that about? Listen, ask in my name is not the secret incantation to get whatever you want, all right? And I'm serious about that because people get disillusioned with God because he doesn't act like a genie in a bottle when they pray and cite these verses, you know? Thought he was supposed to give it. I said it in Jesus' name. Instead, Jesus is saying, actually, he's actually reinforcing something from chapter 14, that to ask in his name is to ask for that which his name stands for, which is to bring glory to God the Father. His consistent aim on earth was to bring glory to the Father, and now this is what he is appointing us. He is going to move through us. People are his plan A. So let me ask you something. Are you praying for others? Are you praying for those in your life? And not... I'm not talking about just praying, God, help Sarah's friend's cat leg to get better. No. You send a thoughts and prayers text. I'm not praying for your cat. At least, here's what I'll say. I'll pray for your cat if you and I are praying for God to be glorified through us first. For the lost in our lives to find hope in Christ. For the church, the bride of Christ, to bring glory to God in our city. For healing and redemption to rain down like a waterfall of grace on our community. For a season of refreshing from God's spirit to come from his presence with us. I want to pray that over you. The church was meant, y'all, to be a community of friends. We gather in rows for about an hour a week. But friendship is taking what we experience here, what we learn here, turning to one another, filled with the love of Christ and intentionally extending that love to one another. That's what makes Christ so compelling to a world tragically filled with isolated people. So this month we're saying, I'm in. God, I'm in. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I see you moving and I want in. I don't want to live my life on the sidelines. I wasn't meant for it. I was meant to bring you glory in my day. I'm in. And he is calling every single one of us in. Whether you've been a Christian for 30, 40 years or you're hearing the gospel today and you respond today, he has created you for good works to be done in his name for his glory through you. Let me pray for you and, and give you a chance to respond to him. I want you to bow your head. This is your chance to respond to God, to his word. You heard today about the strength to love and the, the way to love. So maybe almost, uh, we often do this with your, your hands as just a posture of your heart, if your hands are open before you and your head bowed, say, God, I receive again your love today. If you're not a Christian, maybe that's your response. You don't become a Christian just by being around church, by attending things. It's through saying, yes, I believe. I'm turning from my sin. You tell God that. God, I'm turning from my sin. I believe you died for me and I receive that love today. And then Christian, you receive it again like the branch that has to draw from the vine. Receive again. Here, he loves you. He's made you a new creation. He is with you. He has secured eternity for you. Hear the love of God for you. Say, thank you, Lord. I receive it again today.
And then I want you to commit to him. Consider how he is calling you to love others. Consider the step he's calling you to take. Maybe that is to get more involved in the church. Maybe that is to extend forgiveness. Maybe that is to begin to pray, believing that he can change lives. You spend a moment, you pray, you talk and respond with God, and then our teams will come and lead us from here.